Let's begin this episode by starting in 2012. 2012, I completed a book that I had been working on for, I would say, about a year. Um, I had gotten rid of my TV. My mom, I told my mom, like, I don't watch TV anymore. And she was like, man, are you crazy? <laughs> my mom was a TV person. And, and even though I was working in Hollywood at the time, and my whole life was wrapped around entertainment, I wasn't watching TV or anything like that at all. And so uh, I had listed a long list of goals since I was a, like a teenager or preteen. And one of the goals I had was to write a book. I mean, we had make movies, we had do cartoons, we had all these different things I wanted to do. Um, but one of them was to write a book. What was the what the book would be about? I didn't know. I didn't say anything specific about that. But I wanted to write a book. I always enjoyed writing. That doesn't mean I'm good at it. That just means I enjoy doing it. So whatever I love doing, typically I do it. Doesn't matter if somebody like it or not or I just do it because I love doing things I want to do. So it was around 2010, 2011, I started the process of the book. And then, and like I said, getting rid of all my distractions. Uh, and when I say TV, I don't watch TV regularly. But the things that I was watching was like ESPN, Sports Center, these these type of things. Um, <clears throat> so I still got rid of the TV, even though I don't watch it so much. I don't play video games and all that. But I got rid of it just so I can focus in um, on the book even more so. And to this day right now, 2021, I still don't watch TV. Um, so in 2012, I completed it. <clears throat> and at the time, I was living in Valley Village. Uh, no, not Valley Village. Yeah, Valley Village. Anyway, at the time I was living in California in the Encino area. And I remember after I wrote my book and a couple people had checked it out and said, hey, man, it's not so terrible, actually. <laughs> I was happy to hear that. But once again, I really didn't care if people like it or don't like it. I was just wanting people to read it just, just to read what I was thinking, you know. Um, so I finished it and I was actually happy about that. And the response I had gotten was really positive. <clears throat> but I remember it was a night in 2012. I was in the shower and I started crying, man. And I'm not, I'm not ashamed to cry I would say but I'm not a cry baby and so this particular day I was in the shower and I just started crying like I'm just in the shower by myself I live by myself I'm in the shower by myself nothing happened but what I started thinking about was since I was a kid growing up having a fascination with the arts and creativity and uh, being a huge uh, admirer of people like Michael Jackson and these type of people, I, Arsenio Hall and Don Cornelius, especially Michael, but so many people whom I admired, Robert Townsend even, uh, people who I really liked their work. They were creative, 
They can write, they can act, they can sing, they can dance, they can do all these things. They were owning their own shows, not just being the entertainment, like Don Cornelius, my gosh. And then it was Arsenio. I really admire these people. And I wanted to carve my own path because that was natural to me, the, the entertainment thing and putting shows together. Again, not for the celebrity portion of it, just really the art. Like my whole childhood, I will always put together shows for my family with all my uh, siblings and cousins. And I was always the leader of that and I was writing things. And so it was natural for me. But kind of getting off topic for a minute, my path had got taken to a sports avenue because I had a natural ability, natural ability and gift to play basketball. And if you know anything about a brother in the inner city, if people see that you can, uh, you have a natural gift for a sport, and especially if you're a great kid and you do well in school and you don't cause any problems, man, you get pushed so far, so fast. And so me, I absolutely love school. I never got in trouble. Uh, I was really, really good at sports. And so I got actually taken away from my environment, man. I got pushed into all of the sports things. And again, I actually was really, really good naturally at basketball, but I began working really hard and that made it even, even better for me. So my art focus had got put, put on the back burner but that was always my true love. Drawing pictures and all of that was always my, my truest love. Basketball, not to say I didn't love it when I was doing it, but it was like something I was naturally good at. And it's like, I always think of basketball and football, somewhat baseball like this. <clears throat> all the people talk about you must love this sport and this, 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 and I absolutely love the sport. I was so into it when I was into it. Um. But I think about it, all this junk people are talking, it's only because the financial and celebrity rewards you get from that sport. For example, I will always say horseshoes, right? Imagine you absolutely love horseshoes. I don't know if there's that many horseshoe groupies running around. I don't know if you're getting 100 mil a year <laughs> for playing horseshoes, son. So my point is, like the whole sport thing, as much as a kid would truly love the sport by itself, often you get pushed in that direction because of financial gains from the people around you, you like the coaches and the family and all that. So you get kind of pushed into something, uh, especially if you're in the inner city. You get pushed into something, even if you like it and you love it, you get pushed into it and you get surrounded by it. And no adult ever really stops and thinks, Okay, does this kid really, really want to do this? Even if they like it or love it, what does this kid really want to pursue? So that question was never posed to me. It was seeing that this kid is really good. He can possibly go pro and he can possibly go to college. He can possibly get me something out of this, not family. This was coaches and stuff. And so I kind of got wrapped up into that, um, not of my own doing, but uh, it was it was fun while I, while I was doing it. But once again, my truest, truest passion was always the arts. So with that being said, getting back to the book, I had finally accomplished a goal that I set for myself personally, not just the goals that came from the sports world or the coaches and the people around me. It was more of this is what I truly want to do. So 
at the t around that time, I would say about two, let's say 2008, 2009-ish, maybe a little earlier than that, actually. Uh, my mom would started telling me every time I would talk to her, I don't believe in God anymore. And I'm going to use the term God, even though I really don't like using that anymore. But I want to be true to what I'm saying. And I want to use the terms that I was using at that time. You can see the growth or the fall off. You can see whatever you want to see more naturally if I use the terms that I was using at that period of time in my life. And so primarily I was using the term God, which I don't really like using anymore. But my mom would say, I don't believe in God anymore. And I really didn't like that. I didn't know why she was saying it. Um, but my mom, she had a certain way to kind of check and see where her boys were. You know, as a mom raising four boys by herself, she has to be somewhat manly in some ways. And one way to kind of check her adult son now who's living in Hollywood. I mean, the mecca of craziness, right? Um... I guess she was just trying to fill out where I was, but it became like a, a habit. Like it became this thing where, and again, I say 2008-ish, but it was earlier than that. My mom started saying that to me every conversation. Um, I think because when I first started my, let's say my Hollywood career, I was doing some of everything. I always wanted to direct concert films, but I was writing and doing spots. I was writing and producing for a, a gospel show uh, and that's how I got my start but it turned out to be working for the most shadiest person and if I say her name they call her the black widow just by saying the black widow that actually is her name so I can't say I'm not going to use her name because I just did but she really is a black widow <laughs> And that's not a knock on anybody who identified with the term black. I'm talking about the black widow, the spider. <laughs> She's really the dirtiest dog loser I've ever, of all the people and all the things you can, you can experience in Hollywood. For me personally, it was by a person of color and a woman to be the dirtiest, shadiest person. And she happened to be in the gospel world. And um, I learned something while I was there, but that experience was the dirtiest, shadiest experience that I had in all of Hollywood, man. And I mentioned that because when I, when I stopped working there, and, and when I was working there, I actually did a lot of cool things. I mean, it was so many greats that I would talk to and interview, Shirley Caesar and Ann Nesby and... I mean, the list goes, Andre Crouch. I mean, it just, the list goes on and on to all these people I grew up admiring, listening to with my granddad or in church or even by myself. Like I grew up loving this kind of music and these people. And um, it was also around that time I started seeing the truth behind the gospel industry. And that led to the whole Christian thing. I had already stopped going to church and I didn't stop going to church to coincide with stop believing there is a God. No, I stopped going to church because I never really, as much as I love church, the idea of church, let's say, as much as I love the people that I grew up with in the church that I went to, my grandfather and my auntie are fantastic gospel singers. Um, as much as I love the music, 
I started looking at so many things. And I'm talking about when I was a preteen. Like I would look at people going into church before they go into church. They're bumping the dirtiest music. I never judge people. But as soon as they go into the church, they're doing this holier than thou dance and this holier than thou talking and not saying any bad words. And like my mother, even she would cuss us out all the way to church. Go to church. Don't cuss in church. Leave church and cuss us out all the way back home. And that's my own beloved mother. So I would see this stuff and I would see like, man, it's something about this that don't feel so right. Um, I got tired as a little kid. I got so tired. And again, this is my own thinking, not someone telling me something. And even though I'm talking about it now, this is not my adult brain. I'm honestly reflecting exactly where I was when I was a preteen, 9, 10, 11 years old. I get so tired of looking at the cross, like this dead body on a cross, on a crucifix, and that's supposed to represent something. Unfortunately, I lost my mom, right? And if I were to get something, which I don't, I don't have any tattoos or anything, but if I were to get some kind of idol to represent my mom, it wouldn't be a casket. It just wouldn't be a casket. And again, this is not to knock anyone who holds up the cross or the crucifix. It's not, I'm not opposed to anybody believing whatever they believe. It's, it doesn't matter to me. But for me as a little kid, I started looking at this Jesus hanging on a cross and saying, it's something about this that I feel is not right. It's something about this that don't feel good to me as a little kid. That was probably... One of, one of the first things, that no, that was like this, for sure the second major thing. I'll talk about the first thing later. <clears throat> but one of the first major things, the second or third thing was looking at the crucifix and letting that represent God or Jesus or whatever the term people use for all of this. And at the same time, the pastors are always saying we shouldn't do idol worship. Well... What is the cross? The cross is an idol. And again, as a little kid, I started listening to this stuff and I was never an idiot. So I always think deeply for myself. What is this stuff meaning to me? Every so-called black person's house I would go to in Michigan, every single one of them, for the most part, I mean, I have a lot of diverse friends, but for the most part, 80% of the people's homes I went to, I'm talking about between like, let's say elementary school to high school, predominantly all of them have Jesus on the wall and all of the Jesus is on the wall of this white dude looking down at this is like Jesus, JFK, some people get Malcolm, some people get Martin. And then you get your family members. I haven't been to my grandmama's house in a while because, again, I'm I'm out of the country for a while now. Um, but even my own beloved grandmother, like you go to her house anytime in the den, you get JFK, you get uh, Jesse Jackson, <laughs> you got what else is on her wall? You got Martin, and on top of all of them, you got this white Jesus dude. And I just really start to say. Is something about this that's like slavery, like a slave master with some kind of hold over me. 
So that was like the initial thing. Again, this is elementary to middle school thinking. I started just thinking like, I love all this other stuff, but it's something about this that just feels like something is off. What is it? I don't know. So as I started moving into growing up a little bit and going to college, you know, major university and and then starting to really think for myself and working my first major entertainment job was writing and producing for a, one of the most popular uh, gospel shows. And it's actually, I don't want to say so much because I don't want, the hell with that man. <laughs> Lee Bailey. Lee Bailey was a guy who I love radio. I absolutely love radio voices. I wish I had one. And Lee Bailey was a guy who, when I was a kid, it was Lee Bailey. It was uh, Mason. Uh, it was a couple people who I love their voices. Like even the old newsreels from like the 1920s. Like I love the sound of the 1920s people talking for the newsreel. Like, I would really study these different voices, and I just loved them so much. And so when I got to Hollywood, one of the first jobs I had, it wasn't directly, it was indirectly. It was it was uh, working with uh, one of Lee Bailey's shows. And <clears throat> I found that to be, like, almost like a dream in one way. Because, again, in the back of my mind, you know, my private space, I always absolutely adored these radio voices and lee bailey's was one of the ones and so i was working uh for this radio station not for lee bailey not for lee bailey just put that out there it wasn't for lee bailey but people who know what i'm talking about will know who i'm talking about so <clears throat> as i'm working for her and she turns out to be one of the worst people i've ever met in my life okay and maybe i'll even share one of the stories why I think she's one of the worst people I've ever interacted with. Um, I started looking at all these people I was interviewing, man. And it was one interview in particular. And again, I'm not judging any person. This is something that a kid is absorbing for himself that's changing his own idea. I'm not judging the people I'm getting the information from. They, people can do whatever they want. But for me, I have the right to learn from people around me and things I'm hearing and seeing. And I just so happened to be a person who was able and fortunate to meet everybody that I wanted to meet. I mean, there is no person, including presidents, that I wanted to meet that I couldn't talk to. I couldn't interview. And that was a cool thing for me. But when I was talking to all these gospel people, not all, not all, by far not all. Like, like, for example, I tell you some people that I absolutely love that was in the gospel world. Now, she may not have been like one of the all and just gospel people, but Ann Nesby is one of the angels. Like this lady, I haven't talked to her in, what is it, like 15 plus years now, longer than that now. But like you talk to some people and it makes you realize that Forget all of the albums and the records and the songs and the money and the record contracts. There are some people inside of this thing that has a gift to sing, to, to sing, to perform, to entertain. And yet they are so lovely. They are so great. 
And I will say this person's name because one of the people who gave me such a refreshing joy and confidence that I was doing a good job and everything, it was Ann Nesby. And I don't want this to turn out to be name dropping thing. That's not what I'm doing. I'm looking literally as I begin this first podcast, looking to lay the foundation of why and how I got into that shower and was crying. So <clears throat> let me finish with Ann Nesby. She was one of the ones, and there's there's many others, but she's one of the ones that I will always remember in my heart. And so no matter who, when, where, how, it doesn't matter. This person I just absolutely loved uh, uh, speaking with, interviewing, and spending time with. Like she was so great. There were other people who they were really, I mean, some of these people I'm talking about are legends. And what I mean that I'm not knocking them, I mean that. I really mean I'm not saying anything about these people, especially negative, nothing negative about them. But what I got from them affected me negatively, some of them. I hope you understand that. What they give out and their personality and how they react and respond, I am in no position to judge them whatsoever, nor would I, even if I could judge them. But that's not what I'm doing here. I'm just really saying, and I want you to make sure this is clear, that what I got from these people before I say what I'm going to say, it really affected me negatively. So there was a couple people, especially one, I will not say this person's name, <clears throat> but this person... I mean, is adored around the world, is adored around the world, have seen for presidents and kings and queens. And I mean, this person is really, really adored, even adored by me when I was a kid. I was interviewing this person and everything was about that person. But after they finished bragging about themselves, they would say, praise the Lord. Brag, 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 brag. Me, 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 me. Praise the Lord. Me, 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 me. Praise the Lord. And this went on for what an hour, two hours of an interview. And even though the person has great credentials and has every right to be proud of those accomplishments, the accomplishments were so meaningless. Like. For example, even in the highest industry, take take sports. Let's go back to sports. I'm a huge basketball fan. Like, I don't, I'm not so into it anymore right now as I was when I was a kid, but I am. And you take winning a NBA championship, right? And in the sports world, in the basketball world, that means so much. But you go over to a person who plays golf or a person who knows nothing about sports, just some random billionaire somewhere, and say, yeah, man, I won an NBA championship. It's like, what? What? What is that? It means absolutely nothing to me. You, you take an NBA championship to a person in Istanbul or, or, or <laughs> Afghanistan or go to Haiti and be like, yeah, man, I, just, just randomly, yeah, I won an NBA championship. And it's, it's like, what does that mean? You only have to go leave the country. Just it's <laughs> so many people who can care less. It doesn't mean anything. Like we give value to awards and stuff to make 
these people and ourselves feel better than we are, I guess. But it really, at the end of the day, doesn't mean anything, really. And so listing all these accomplishments and listing all of the things and all the kings and all the presidents and, and me, 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 and I did this and I did this and me and I'm considered this and everybody respect me as this. Me, 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 praise the Lord. Me, 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 praise the Lord. It was something that felt dirty about that to me, man. It was something about that that felt dirty to me. Now this one, again, now people are so sensitive about sexuality and all that once again man in no way shape or form do i care what a person does in their personal life i really not only don't care don't care sounds negative like you can do what you want if something is outlawed by the father or something is pro father i can't judge you either way i have no concern with a person's personal life so about a person's sexuality that's not what this next statement is about. But again, it's about how that truth affected me. So it's not about their sexuality. It's about how that truth affected Jonathan. Because it was something given and shown and presented to me. So it's not about their person, their, their, what their choices. I, I, hey, to each his own, man. I, I, I am flawed enough. For myself, I don't have time to judge anybody else about their things because what we think is a flaw might not even be a flaw. So I don't get into that. But what I will say is the next thing that just really shook me up personally, and I'll admit, you know, sometimes you are looking at these people through the eyes you see them as a kid, you know. And again, I, I'm not into the whole celebrity thing. As much as I love the arts, I'm not into the whole celebrity world thing. It's more about the art that I'm doing, and I just happen to be, it's like like I would tell people, I don't talk about what I did. I forgot almost everything that I did do because it's like if a person's working for General Motors, everything around them has to do with cars. So if they're talking about the cars and the tires and the engines and the motors, they're not bragging. They're just That's what they do. For me, my whole work environment is all people who are so-called famous. So if I talk about it, which I never do, I didn't talk about it because I didn't want to sound like I was bragging about something that I just love for the art, not for the for the accolades or the or the thing that comes along with it. Like this is cool. It, it's not. It's none of that. It's just I happen to spend my whole young adult life, twenty years plus of my life, working in the film world, in the entertainment world. That's just my truth. And when you work in that environment. Everybody around you is a part of that environment. They're no different than tires. <laughs> that sounds bad, but it's no different than tires for cars. Like you work in Hollywood, you're going to know actors. You're going to know singers. That's just what it is. So I was interviewing one person and now this is one of my personal favorites. This is one of my personal favorites was one of my grandfather's personal favorites, but he was one of my personal favorites too. Like, I just love the voice. And I remember we went from talking about, you know, the songs to this dude hitting on me. And it went from hitting on me to asking me out to dinner. But it was, it didn't feel like asking me out like on a business dinner or let's just get together. It was almost like a date. 
And again, not judging him, but it just was underneath this umbrella of Christianity, underneath this umbrella of goody two-shoeness, underneath this umbrella of gospel, underneath this umbrella of they are secular, we are, we are not secular. But it was like the secular people, they might do all this wild stuff, but they're not hiding it. The people whom I'm talking about claim to be almost anti-secular and they're doing the same things, if not worse. So it was that perspective where I was like, man, it's something off about all of this stuff. So for me, that was like the final straw for me. I was, I, this, this, this path started when I was a preteen, looking at things, listening to pastors preach, saying the same things redundant, but wouldn't say things that I have real questions about, uh, not answering certain questions, uh, not being able to answer certain questions, uh, but then acting as if they know almost everything. Um, it was, like I said, it, it was just so many different kind of things. And then my personal journey uh, of the creative world and, and talking with people who were supposedly so into this Christianity, so into this religiousness, so into this righteous living and all this stuff that that, that supposedly presents. And they were worse than everybody else that I not worse than, but just the same as everybody else. It was like, there was no difference. And I'm sorry, if you are a player and you are a coach, the coach cannot be the same as the player. I'm sorry, man. Like, it, it just it just got to be some kind of layered difference. It just has to be. Like, a police officer cannot do the same thing as a criminal. I'm just sorry. It, it, that's just my personal opinion. And so being such a young, impressionable person at the time, it really affected me where... I said, I'm going to officially step away from going to church and everything. I remember talking to my grandfather before he passed away. And I was telling him that I was going to step away from going to church. He was asking me, have I gone to church? And and, he, and I was telling him I was going to one. And, and in L.A., if you've lived in L.A., you know what you would know what I mean. Like the churches are not the same as like the South or like the Midwest or something. It feels more... My gosh, man, like I went into a couple churches, man, and they have ATMs in the church, ATMs in the church. Now, now it's probably like that's that's normal. But like <laughs> when I'm talking with the time and period I'm talking about, I never saw this before, man. I never saw I would never forget like two people came in that I that everybody would know. Right. And they had ah, man, the hell with that. I would say the names, man. They had, no, I won't say the names. I won't say the names because that makes it feel like I'm bragging. But they had reserved seats for these two dudes. Now, they are forever famous, right? But they had reserved seating. I couldn't believe it was, <laughs> I would told my homeboy, I was like, man, it's VIP seating in church, man. Like, how is it VIP seating in church? Like, I, I just, it's just so many things. I'm like, man, what is this? How is it VIP seating in church? This just should not be. It, I, it, it's just like, if there's any place where the dirtiest, poorest, most broken down person 
should be welcomed and have the seat just like anybody else. It should be church. But when you have these people who got so-called millions of these fake dollars that we all clamoring for, and they got some kind of, you know, profile, and you have VIP seating for them, dude, it's too much. And so it was a combination of all these things that really led me to, uh, in the early 2000s, say, man, I had enough. I literally had enough. And so I walked away and I talked with my granddaddy and my granddad, he's such a religious person, but my grandfather didn't judge me. He just, he just, he understood. My mom was the one who just kept saying I didn't believe in God. But again, that wasn't it. I was on a journey. That was the beginning of this part of the journey. That was just the beginning stages. I was looking to find out about God for myself, man. I did my favorite pastor, and even though I'm I'm not Christian anymore and I, I don't do that anymore, I can't erase my foundation. And so many good parts of it's like when people talk about Christmas, right? I can see why it's a pagan holiday. I can see why it's man-made. I can see why we shouldn't celebrate it. But as a kid who just was happy to have his family get together and everybody, you know, I never even wanted to get gifts. I like giving. But still, the the part of everybody you get to see family you never even see or you rarely see. And it's always great cooking and people are so happy and the songs and playing the piano in the living room. I ain't give a damn about no paganism and all this stuff I didn't know about. I didn't even care about Christmas. I ain't care about no fake Santa Claus, dude. What I cared about, well, that's, that's kind of a lie. That's kind of a, not a lie, but that's kind of a uh, revisionist history. I did, I was into Santa Claus for a time. I was. But that wasn't the main reason. That wasn't the reason why I loved Christmas. It was for the reasons I said. It was my family. It was getting together. It was the church plays. It was all these things. It had nothing to do with the stuff that I learned about now. So that goes to when people are speaking now. I just hope we don't speak from a soapbox because a lot of the people who were celebrating these holidays were not celebrating the hell a day or the holiday or whatever people want to say now. They were just happy to get together, man. And as a kid, you're just happy. You run down in the morning to open some gifts with your brothers and your sister. And that's just exciting. I didn't care about all this other stuff. I didn't care about all the fake stuff that we were a part of because I didn't know about it at the time. But it is true. When you know better, you do better. And so I just said, I know nothing. I had the confidence in myself to say, I absolutely know nothing. And by saying I know nothing, I took away even my favorite pastor, Pastor Calloway, whom, like I said, even though I'm not into that anymore, I've evolved past that because I'm looking more for... The truth, man, the truth, not religion, not all this stuff, not what sounds sexy or popular. I'm looking for the truth only. But that man was a man who laid the foundation for me. And if you think about it, I respected him so much. This little tiny man who when he spoke and he was doing his sermons, like it was so beautiful. I love his voice. He was tiny, but he just would electrify the whole room. And I just, I was, it's almost like James Brown, like would just stare at this guy sliding across the floor. It was like a musical. It was like, it was it, it was just fantastic. This dude was like an entertainer and so sweet and so great. And 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 I grew up with his, well, his daughters are my mother's age, but I grew up with them teaching me. And 
I learned so much from these types of people. But I didn't want everything that even people such as he taught me to be the reason why I believe there's a God. My grandfather is one of my heroes. He can be passed on all day long. But he still and forever will be one of my heroes. But I didn't want to learn just from him. My grandmother, I didn't want to just learn from her. My mother, whom I there's nobody who, <laughs> man, my mama is, is, is my mama. And <clears throat> I've always been a mama's boy. <laughs> and so if my mom said go left, typically I would go left. But I didn't want it to be just because my mom said so either. So I wanted to break away. And the things that I started experiencing when I was in my early 20s uh, really helped push me to just say, you know what? I need to break away from this because I've been feeling these certain kind of ways about these things in my own little kid mind. And now I'm a you know young adult and I'm seeing that it's even more things that's bothering me personally. Once again, not judging anybody else's walk. I, I'm in no position to do that. But how things affect me is important to me. And so I decided to step away from all the things that was told to me that I believed up into that part. That led me, that led me to the book. When I began writing the book, I erased everything that I knew. I don't know much, but everything that I knew about God, everything I knew about you know, belief systems, everything, I, I just erased it. Like it never existed. And as I was going through this process of writing, I just wanted to see what would come to me when I was getting ready to write. Whatever came to me, I just wrote that. I didn't have a plan. Like, so it turned out to be a book of poetry. I didn't know it would be a book of poetry. Uh, I've always loved that format. That format is like tap dance to me. It's just a, a beautiful, free-flowing format. And so I love that format, but I'm not some big poet, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not claiming any of this. It's just something I really like doing. But the format came to me was poetic because as I was like, if anybody knows about Encino area. Uh, you know, right behind, oh my God, I, I've been out of, <laughs> oh, I've been out of LA, LA for so long now, I'm forgetting everything. But right behind Ventura, that's where the mountains are, right? <clears throat> so many people hike back there. It's like five minutes to the, to, the, to the mountain and you just hike up the mountain. So I started taking hikes, riding my bike or just hiking um, almost every day. And because it's literally right behind my apartment at the time. So I would just go hiking every day, every day, every day, every day. And as I was hiking, like I would take pictures uh, of the stones, of the trees, of the clouds, of the birds, all these different kinds of things. And then later on that night or even there, I would just have an idea. And whatever the idea was, I would just write about that idea. But I wouldn't just think about like what to write. I wouldn't think about a plan. I would just, it's almost like meditative, just like, okay, this is the topic. And then what is going to come to me from this topic? So that was my process for that book. The book was called The Heart of It All. And so um, that was my process for the entire book. As I completed the book, it turned out to be like a love story, love story to God himself. But at the same time, it was honest, honest to me. I didn't go into it with a thought like, let me write this. Let me do it this way. 
it was all that was in my head and all that was in my head was God himself. That was it. It was nothing. It wasn't about, well, a couple of things were inspired by people I met because sometimes you can see people and you can see some God in them. Like, like I mentioned Michael before, right? Michael Jackson, right? Many people are fans of Michael Jackson. Well, I guess you can put me in that category, but not really. As a little kid growing up with no father figure whatsoever, like my granddad was the only one visible, but he was never really around that much. And so it was absolutely not, we have not even uncles in my family. We only have two aunts. So we didn't even have uncles. There was not, like my mother didn't even have boyfriends. So like, she, I'm happy my mom after her kids, she just didn't bring guys around. But at the same time, some of my friend's mother did bring guys around, but that at least let these guys who have a similar experience as me and many other brothers, um, you don't see males that much. At least they'll see some males. They might be good, bad, whatever, but they see, we saw nothing. Like it was, it was no dudes. It was no dude whatsoever. I mean, if it wasn't a teacher or a coach or something, it was no male figures in my family or in my environment. And so, and that's sad. That's really sad. So for me, my love of Michael Jackson wasn't wrapped up in fandom. It was here's a kid who, since he was really little, had a focus of what he wanted to do. And this is not me thinking now. This is honestly me thinking when I was a kid. This is my little kid thinking. He had a focus since he was tiny. Um, and I don't only say Michael, like even his brothers, like they they get left out a lot, but they are all excellent. His sisters, his parents, forget all the drama that's surrounding them. This was black excellence. And I don't like using the term black anymore, but this was chosen people excellence, right? <laughs> like this is excellence at the highest order, right? And so I would, of course, MJ stood out. He just stood out for whatever reason is not to knock any of the other ones. I think they all are brilliant, including Tito, whom I love, right? And so I think they're all are brilliant. But MJ, I mean, he just stood out. Like, yeah, I just go to him. Like, it's like when you look in the sky, you see clouds and birds and the blue. But if it's a bright sun, standing, normally your eye just going to go to the sun, right? It's, it's like he just stood out above all the other beautiful things. And so I looked at him because he was excellent, and he had a focus. And then I started to absorb all the hard work he did. Like I can see, like he, people would, I would read everything. Like I would read everything. <laughs> and I would see how hard he worked. And I, I took that. I took that you got to work hard. Like this is why I speak about Dennis Rodman and people don't understand why. Dennis Rodman was one of the guys I looked at along with MJ. Like I looked at Dennis Rodman. He worked harder than everybody else. So people can make fun of him and this and that and call him weird and call him gay and call him this and call him that. That dude was one of the ones I stared at and I never took my eyes off of him. Joe Dumars, he had class, Isaiah. So I looked at these guys, but of, 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 of amongst all the guys I stared at, it was MJ. But it was for the reason where I didn't have a male figure and I was staring at all these type of guys so I can learn uh, so, uh, so I can say that MJ and, and many other people, I would see the presence of God in that person.
I really could. I really can see like how a person, my grandmother will often say people are touched and I can, and I can see that you can see when some people are touched by the hand of the father himself. And so I saw that in this man because he affected people of from everywhere. It don't matter if they speak the language or not, if they're male or female, young or old, uh, it, it never mattered. Like this dude brought everybody together, like Sly, like I think why Sly Stone is still alive because no matter what problems you think he may have, this dude music, every single song, you feel some form of love in this thing, man. So it's some people who just can really, really capture something that touches everybody and you know where it's coming from. And so that's the re that's what I saw in that man. And so I will look at all these different people and I can see the presence of God in them. So back to the book, <clears throat> that process I went through, it was a real cleansing uh, process. It was an honest process. And the process didn't push me away from, like I said, I'll use the term I was using then. It didn't push me away from God. It, it gave me my own understanding, my own belief system, my own faith, my own like experience um of this energy and now i can i didn't i didn't have a family didn't have a kid i didn't have anything at the time but if i ever did now if i teach something if i say something i don't have to do it from a bible i give the bible such respect but at the same time people who only give advice or only talk from the bible really annoys me personally at times because sometimes I can read myself. Sometimes you want to hear a person, how you deal with this thing, not only what the Bible is saying, because if we talk honest, many people, they don't want to hear that. They want to hear, how did you deal with this process? How did you get through this? Even if it was through the Bible, it, they want to hear it from your perspective. And so where I have great respect and admiration for the Bible itself it was my own experience, my own visualization, my own awareness of God himself that just made me feel everything I had believed, minus the Christian stuff, minus all that crap, uh, minus that, because a lot of it is crap, man. A lot of it is crap. Um, it's not all crap. I just said why it's not all crap, because I cannot throw it away. It's the foundation in which I am. It's the foundation. However, just because I was built on the foundation doesn't mean that all the things, all the supplies, all the materials used were the best supplies because it wasn't. It, it just wasn't. Um, and so <clears throat> I got my own understanding. And uh, that was worth infinite amounts to me. <laughs>